Many of us try that in our life. We try to change from the outside in. But the reality is true change comes from the inside out, and that's what God's Word does. So today I want you to be open-minded, listen to what we're saying. It's coming right out of the Word, and, and I believe it's going to help you today. Before we, do, before we go to the message, uh, I had a story I wanted to tell you. There, there was a guy that was in the hospital, and, and for six months he'd been coming in and out of a coma. He'd, he'd be in a coma, and then he'd wake up for a couple of minutes, and then he'd go back into a coma. And, and his wife had been there the whole time, and, and he woke up out of the coma one time, and he looked over, and he motioned his wife over, and she said, yes, dear. And he, he said, lean down, and she leaned down, and he said, you know, You've been with me through thick and thin. He said, you were there when I was in my car accident. You were there. And you were there when I went to prison. You were there. And you were there when the dog got run over. You were there in all those hard times. You were there when we went through bankruptcy, and I've decided something. And she said, what is it? He said, you're bad luck. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all thought I was going to say something sweet, didn't you? I couldn't do it. <laughs> that wasn't nice at all. You know, have you noticed that in our world, especially over the last couple of months, that life can change in one second? There, there are times in life, there are events that occur, there are things that we experience that when we go through them from that point forward, nothing is ever the same. You know, just in the last couple of months, in our country alone, we've seen the Boston Marathon bombings and how that will change the face of that event. And those people in that region, probably forever, they'll never forget that. September 11th was one of those days that was defining. For those of you that are older, December 7th, 1941, when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. Recently, now, just last week, more Oklahoma, when that tornado went through that area. All the people that experience that will be marked by that event, and they will never be the same. And I want to tell you, one of the things that I see in our world so much is that it seems to be getting harder, doesn't it? It seems like things are going on more and more, these events that occur that are, that are life-changing events. And the Scripture actually has a lot to say about that, and it's actually very comforting you know, it may look on the outside very difficult, but the Scripture talks about it, and it's very comforting. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Luke 21, verse 26. I'm going to read, I'm going to start at 25. This is Jesus talking, and Jesus says this, and he says, And there will be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars, and on the earth there will be distress of nations with perplexity. The sea and the waves will be roaring. Men's heart will fail them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And listen to this, what Jesus says here. He says, now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift your heads because your redemption draws near. And that seems the opposite, doesn't it? Jesus says, listen, when it gets close to time for me to come back, the world is going to be going crazy. There's going to be turmoil. There's going to be a lot of the things that we see going on. And men's heart are going to quake with fear. I mean, I remember after 9-11 watching that take place. I mean, I can tell you where I was for a lot of that event because it so marked me. 
And you know, at that time, Trish and I lived in Flower Mound, and, and where we lived is DFW Airport was in the flight path. There were jets that were coming in, landing over our house. And there was a couple of months there where it was eerily quiet. And I just remember we were so thankful when those jets started flying again because it symbolized that things were starting to get back to normal, at least the new normal at that time. And, and let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever seen the show 24? You've ever heard of the show 24? Okay, well, let me just tell you, for some of you that don't know, the show 24 is about a guy named Jack Bauer. And Jack, Jack's kind of this um, secret agent guy. He's an anti-terrorist guy. And, and Jack, I mean, they did like eight seasons of this show. And I mean, it, it's kind of a guy's guy show, but Trish and I really liked it. And well, well, we didn't see the first three or four seasons, but we had friends that did. And, and they came to us and they said, have you ever seen 24? And we said, no. And they said, well, here, here, here's the whole season. You know, there's like 10 discs or whatever it was. And, and so we would watch these shows. Well, what happens is there's, there's these activities that take place in real time over a 24-hour period. And basically what happens is it's usually a big terrorist thing. And this guy, Jack Bauer, has 24 hours to save the world. And it's a minute by minute. There's this clock counting down the whole time the show's going on. And, and it just really stresses you out. I mean, it really stresses you out. They did a great job of making you feel like this was really going on. Well, I cannot imagine what it must have been like for people that were actually watching it over the course of a season. But the worst thing you could do for somebody was to give them the 24-hour series all at one time. Season two, as an example, our friends gave us this. These were guys I was in ministry with. I think they gave it to us and then laughed because they knew what was going to happen. I mean, we, Trish and I would come home from work and we would start watching this show. And it was one of those shows that you would watch it and then, it, you know, at the end it would go beep, beep, beep. And then you'd be like, all right, we're watching the next one. Because, you know, it was a cliffhanger every week. We'd stay up till one or two o'clock in the morning waiting to see if Jack was going to save the world. Because we were really stressed. And there's one part, what happened is the terror, I'm getting all excited just thinking about it. There was, there was this part, there was this part where the terrorists kidnapped the Secretary of Defense. And they kidnapped Jack's girlfriend who was the Secretary of Defense's daughter. Just follow with me. And, and so they've got them, and they've got them hidden in this secret place, and they're sending out the video, and they're going to kill everybody and all this, and Jack finds them. Jack finds out where they are, and he gets on the phone, and he's calling the terrorist organization, I found them. And they're like, where are you? And he says, I'm here. And he, they, he said, send help. And they said, help's on the way. It'll be there in five minutes. And he goes, five minutes is too late. Ah! You know, and you're like, go. He goes, I'm going in. It's suicide. I'm going. And, you know, we're like, ah, you know, and go, Jack, go. You know, we're screaming at the TV. And, and Jack jumps in. I'm stressing myself out. <laughs> Let me sit down. For a okay. So, anyway, Jack goes in. And, and, and how is he going to survive? I mean, this, there's no way. And then this revelation comes. It's season two. <laughs> They're in season four. So obviously he survives. Well, that takes all the stress out of the situation, doesn't it? Right? I mean, he's going to make it. He's going to live because he just signed a multi-year contract, you know? I mean, they're going to get him out of this. You know, as Christians, we need to feel the same way. 
We need to feel the same way because the reality is we know the end of the story. And the end of the story is one of these days Jesus is going to come back and we're all going to go to heaven and this is going to be over with. We talked about heaven the other day. No more tears, no more crying, no more sorrow. That's the end of the story. So when Jesus is saying, when you see all these things coming, Jack Bauer, and it's getting really hard and it will be hard, these times are hard. When I see what goes on, it's gone on in Moore, Oklahoma, it breaks my heart. And I talked to Sean this week, and I said, man, maybe we can send a team over there to help clean up. So we may be talking to some of you guys about that. We need to do those things. We need to be involved. We are the church that's the hand and feet of Jesus in our community. But I want you to understand, there's, we know the end of the story, and the end of the story is God wins. And Jesus says, when things get really, 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 really bad, look up. I love that. Look up because your redemption is drawing nigh. That ought to be really good news to us, folks. That's good news. And as a Christian, we don't need to bury our head in the sand. We need to recognize, man, God's doing something in the world. But the end result is we're going to win. It's going to be okay. Everything is going to be all right. He's coming back. Just like he said he would. That wasn't in my notes, Becky. I'm sorry. I just, that was free for all of y'all today. I just throw those in there occasionally. But the truth is, he's coming back and it's going to be all right. You know, sorrow comes at night, the Bible says, but joy comes in the morning. You know, the worst thing that can happen to you is you die and go to heaven. Wow. And, and I think as Christians, we need to get that. And here's the thing, we don't need to live in this world like it doesn't matter. We're here on mission, aren't we? We're here for a purpose. We are here for a purpose. Let me tell you, what, what really matters in life is that this life could end tomorrow, but do the actions of our lives as Christians reflect that truth? I'm gonna say that again. Life could end tomorrow, but do the actions of our lives as Christians reflect that truth? In other words, are we the real deal? You know, I titled this sermon, The Real Deal. And the reason I did is because people are looking at the church, people are looking for something that's real in their life. There are all these opportunities out there for substitutionary things, but none of them are the real deal. I, have you, I, I was at a house this week and they had one of those big saucers on the table that had all, all the fruit on it that looked real, but it was plastic. Have you ever been... I mean, have you ever seen those? And, and you walk in and there's this beautiful assortment of grapes and apples and bananas and whatever it is. And you look at it, but if you grab, it looks good, but if you grab it, it's not real. It looks good, but if you grab it, it's not real. It's not the real deal. And it doesn't taste good. And I'm not going to ask you, Richard, how you know that. But that's okay. But the reality is it's not real. And so we need to understand that the world is looking for something that's real. And Jesus is the real deal. But as Christians, do people see that in us? By watching your life, do they recognize that God is real? Hmm. Wow, pastor, I wish you wouldn't say things like that. I'm talking to myself right now. But the reality is, is there enough evidence in your life to show people that God's real? Because they know you're a Christian, but do they see him in you? Now, how many of you have ever had a flu shot before? Come on. Pam, you've given a million of them. Pam Richer here from St. Louis. Give them a big hand. Good to see you guys. 
glad you came down for the sermon today. I hope you enjoy it. Um, but, but the truth is, a flu shot, when, when you get a flu shot, you know what they're giving you? The flu. They're giving you a strain of the flu. So it's like, are you sick? No, I'm going to give you a flu shot. Come here. But the reality is what they're doing is they're giving you just enough of a flu shot so that you don't get the full-blown flu. So it's not all the flu, it's just some of the flu that's going to help you not get the flu, and you can figure that out later. But, but the truth is, what they're doing is they're giving you just enough flu not to get sick. And I want to tell you what, guys, right now, all across our community, all across the United States, there are people in churches right now that have gotten just enough of a Jesus shot to not get the whole thing. They've, they've gotten just enough of Jesus, but they don't really have all of him. They've kind of been inoculated is the term. Well, have you been to church this week? Yep, Burp, there's your little Jesus shot. And, and, you know, did anything really happen? No, but I'm not going to get that on me. Because the reality is we've got this substitution and we have this idea in our mind that church is away and Jesus is away and God's away. And we've got a little bit of him in there, but not the whole thing. And it's just enough to make us feel okay, but it's not really what it's all about. Many of us grew up that way. The Bible talks about it, that there's a form of godliness there, but there's no power. It looks good on the outside like that plastic fruit, but the reality is there's nothing in there. There's nothing going on. I want to tell you today, guys, these are not the kind of messages that I go, woo-hoo. Tana and Trish will tell you, and Angela will tell you all week long, I've been going, oh, man. Because God makes me do these, right? And the first one, as you've heard me say a thousand times, is, is I'm going through this sermon, and I'm having to analyze myself first. And so I'm going over this, and I'm like, oh, man, Lord, some of this is hard. Because the reality is that, that many of us at various times in our life, we're this way. We're not anti-Jesus. I mean, we, we like Jesus. We think he's okay. Jesus is just all right with me. Oh, yeah. But our lives don't reflect the reality of who he is. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. But many of us just think Jesus is cool. And there's nothing wrong with thinking Jesus is cool because he is. But does your ref life reflect the fact that he is in there? Or is it just something you do a couple of times a week? Wow. Anybody want me to stop now? <laughs> you know, Paul talked to the church at Thessalonica, and he said, and I'm going to sum it up for you, but what he said to them is he said, I know what you're doing at your church, and he, and he said, your life reflects the fact that Jesus is really in there because there are works and there are things that are coming out of your life that show that he's real. Your life is a reflection of the fact that Jesus is there. And not just works, but it's this love that's there all the time. You know, I love the fact that the Bible talks about that, that it's the love of God that compels us to do things. We don't serve God because we feel like we have to. We serve God because we get to. I know many of you feel that way about coming to church. I talked to a lady this week and said, you know, it's so awesome to come to church. My kids actually get up Sunday morning and go, get up, get up, get up. We got to go to church. How cool is that? But as, but as parents, as adults, do we do the same thing? Do we feel like, man, I can't wait to get to church Sunday morning. I can't wait to hear what God's going to speak to me this week. Or is it one of those things where, oh, man, I got to go to church again. Hmm. 
Do your life and your actions show that you're a Christian? Do your life, does your life and your actions show that you're a Christian? Matthew 7, 21, boy, this, this is one of those not fun scriptures that's in the Bible. This is Jesus talking, by the way. Jesus says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And he skips down further and he said, and those end times, all these people are going to stand before him. And there's going to be a group of people there that he says, I never knew you. I never knew you. Have you ever been around Christians that, or people that go to church and it's like, they don't want to really figure out how much they can do for God. They just want to figure out what they can do to pass. You ever been around anybody like that? How many of you were that way in school? Raise your hands. Be honest, because I will know. You know, you walk in and go, what's it take to pass this class? What you're really saying is, what is the minimum I can do to get by? Come on, be honest. You know, we just had finals last week. I know there were kids going, what? I just want to, I just want to pass. I just want to I just want to pass. But you know what? Living your life that way is not a good idea. Because we've talked about that eternity is how long? Forever. Eternity is a long time. Eternity never stops. But, but so we all recognize that here on this earth, we're only going to be here for a season. But what we do here determines what happens there. And so I, I just kind of think as a Christian, think about this. Do you want to figure out what you can do to just get by? Or do you want to really live for God and see him do things in your life? I don't know that I want to take that kind of chance. Woo, hope I make it. I mean, how many of us have sat in class, and I can say this out of truth. How many of us can say we sat in class and, oh, Lord, let me pass, let me pass, let me pass, let me pass. Oh, Jesus. Hallelujah. I'll go to church on Sunday. Let me pass, let me pass, let me pass. I love you, Jesus. I love you so much. Help me, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. <laughs> that is stressful, isn't it? Isn't that stressful? You know, where, where you're just wondering, are you, are you going to make it? Are you going to be the last? Are you going to squeak in? You know what, guys? We're not supposed to live that way, especially when it comes to eternity. I mean, <laughs> you don't want to be on your deathbed going, oh, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. Did I make it? Did I make it? Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, hit me. What do I need to do, Lord? How much money you want? It doesn't work that way, right? We need to have a relationship with him. Notice what Jesus said in that scripture. At the end of it, he says, I never what? Knew you. What does that indicate? Intimacy, a relationship. I never knew you. Have you ever been at a party or maybe at an event and there's somebody walking around greeting everybody and nobody seems to know who they are? Who's that guy? Oh, you know, they're, hey, hey. And you're like, hey, I don't know you. That happens to me all the time. I'll be in Walmart. And somebody go, Pastor Chris. And I'll go, what's up? And I'll think, I don't know you. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, we do that in life. Heaven is, eternity is not something where you want to be doing that. And you're like, Pastor, you're scaring me a little bit. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just trying to say, this is what Jesus is saying. Do you know him? Do you have a relationship with him? Praying over dinner doesn't cut it, guys. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for this food. Amen. My brother and I used to have contests growing up. I don't think it was ever stated to see who could pray the fastest. I'm sure my angels were standing around going, what did he just say? <laughs> I mean, that was so fast. You know, I mean, 
There's no relationship there. That was just a religious exercise. And here's the bottom line with all this, and then I'm going to move on. And everybody said, amen. (laughs) You need to know him. Do you have a relationship with him? Because I want to tell you something, folks. Nothing else really matters. At the end of the day, if you don't have a relationship with God, if you have never received Jesus as your Savior, if you're just trying to skate by, that's the wrong way to live. Because you don't have to be that person. You don't have to be the smartest person in the room. You just need to receive him and get to know him. God doesn't care how smart you are or how dumb. He doesn't care what you look like. He loves you. Jesus died for you, and you need to get to know him because it matters. And here's my point today. The real point of the sermon today is, are you the real deal? And the question is, do you know? Do you know if you're the real deal or not? You know, and you might say things like, well, well, Lord, I brought this big bag of groceries to church. Does that get me in? Or, or Lord, I brought two bags. Or No, that, that's not a relationship with God. That's religious functions. And we need to do things. I mean, we do the backpack event. We need to do those kind of things because that shows people practically that we care about them. But those are not the things that ultimately get you to heaven. Your relationship with God is where that happens. You know, if you look at, at Scripture, if you look in life, you know, how many, of you, how many of you have children or grandchildren? Okay. How many, of you, how many of you have ever had anybody say this to you? Or maybe you did this as a kid. Maybe one of your excuses when you were a kid was, you know, somebody got in trouble and, and your, your comment was, well, so-and-so did it. Have you ever done that? Well, Jimmy did it. And then that's usually followed up by, well, if Jimmy jumped off a cliff, would you jump off with him? Right? Or something to that effect. And it's funny how we do that. We kind of seem to think that, well, if everybody else is doing it, then it must be okay. But there's nowhere in the Bible or in real life that that's usually correct, is it? The crowd is usually not the ones that are right. It's usually the individuals that are the ones that's right. Usually the crowd does the easy thing. Jesus actually said narrow is the way to heaven and wide is the way to destruction. And there's this philosophy out there that says, well, if I'm just a good person, I'll go to heaven. No, not really. Well, there's many ways to God. No, not really. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so this is a serious thing. We need to understand, do we have that kind of relationship with God? Because the majority is usually not right. You know, it's hard to go against the flow, isn't it? It's hard to go against the flow. You know, we'll be out at the river today and, and you'll look out there and you'll see the people going over the waterfall and the tubes and I always enjoy that. You know, it, it's fun to be out at the river and you'll see people coming down, especially all the flatlanders. You know, I'm a mountain person now. You know, I'm from Texas, but now, now I call all the visitors flatlanders. I mean, what is that deal? You know, I'm from Texas. Everything's flat. You know, I mean, at least where I was from. I, and, and, you know, but now I'm, I'm I, you know, I'm kind of a hillbilly now. So I look around at all these people driving around, flatlanders, you know. And and it's always fun when we get out at the river and you watch all the flatlanders coming down the river and then you see the falls and it's almost like everybody's kind of taking, you know, for free bets. Think they're going to make it? No. Eh, You know, and we all get our cameras ready because we want to see what's going to happen. And and it's always funny because they don't really know what's coming. They're like, hey, you're waving, hey, and they're going, hey. 
And, and you're like, you have no idea about what's about to happen. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, you know, we're all, <laughs> that was awesome. I mean, oh, goodness. <laughs> you know? I'll never forget the first year we did the river thing. And it was just, y'all remember this, some of you were out there, it was just about dark. And I mean, like you couldn't see out in the water dark. And we hear this, hey, because we had a fire going. And we're like, what? They're like, hey, is this Raven Den? (laughs) Really, y'all remember some of you are out there. And this guy, (laughs) it was this guy and these two girls, and I think they had a dog or something. And they come paddling up in their inner tubes. Is this Raven Den? Because we've been going like 13 hours. And we're trying to get to Raven Den tonight. Are we there yet? <laughs> I remember going, baby, you ain't even close. And they were all sunburned, you know. And so we drove them back to town. They're like, that's hard. And it's like, yeah, you shouldn't do that. <laughs> But I digress. That has nothing to do with anything. But it's a funny story. Um, Many of you have heard about the church in Laodicea. Oh, I've got a lot of time. This will be great. Um, Many of you have heard about the church in Laodicea. And and this is what, this is a message that Jesus was actually writing to, or gave to the Apostle John, that John gave to the churches. Can you imagine as a church if Jesus wrote us a letter? I mean, imagine that. You know, one day, Tan opens the mailbox up, and there's this big gold letter, or however, I don't know how they'd be delivered. And this letter, we grab the letter, and we bring it inside. I'm sorry, y'all. I'm so embarrassing the members, and the visitor's like, I've never seen anybody like this. And the members are going, yeah, he's pretty much this way every week, sorry. <laughs> but, but, you know, this letter comes in. Can you imagine, what would Jesus say to us? I mean, there's probably some really good stuff in there, and there's probably some stuff he'd write to me, <laughs> and stuff he'd write to you, but he wrote this letter to this church in Laodicea. Listen to this, verse 15. This is Jesus talking to this church. I know all the things that you do that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, exclamation mark. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. There's another version that the translation is like vomit you out of my mouth. And then he says this, you say, church, you say I am rich. I have everything that I want. I don't need anything. And you do not realize that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And he says this, so I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also, buy white garments from me so you will not be shamed by your nakedness or your sin. An ointment for your eyes so that you will be able to see. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Can you imagine the church that got that letter? You think you're doing good, but you're really playing church. And you don't dislike me, but you're not really all in either, and you're just kind of lukewarm. And you know, there is really not anything that's good lukewarm, is there? I mean, I had some coffee this morning. You know, Becky's coffee is famous for, 
you know, helping people, heart attack victims recover immediately because they're like, oh, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of caffeine in it. It's not really, y'all. I'm just making that up. But, but it is very, very caffeinated. But I drank it this morning, and it was pretty good hot, but I left it up here because Dwight was making me sing a lot. And, and when I re- reached down to drink it again, it was lukewarm, and it was nasty. Because coffee's not made to be drunk lukewarm. I mean, if you go to Starbucks, it's either frozen, right, or it's hot. But they don't offer a nasty lukewarm drink. Do they? Why? Because nobody wants that. And Jesus is actually saying to the church here, you're lukewarm. You're, you're lukewarm. And then he says, come to me, though, because I want to help you. And I'm going to cover something he said in a few minutes, a scripture that's very famous that you might not even have realized that came out of this section. Hmm. You know, he says, you say I'm rich and you have everything you want and you don't need a thing and you don't realize that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind. And then he says, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. But look at verse 20. I love verse 20. Jesus says, look, exclamation mark, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. What does that indicate? Relationship. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. It's no longer work. It's all about relationship. And see, so many of us, especially if you've been around church for a while, you've seen the picture of Jesus standing at the door knocking. You know, you've seen it. And that's where this comes from. It was actually written to the church in Laodicea, these people that were lukewarm. And Jesus says, listen to me. And I love the fact, guys, we we need to really understand this about Jesus. God wants everybody to come to salvation. He loves us all. He loves us all, and he's crying out to the church, and he's saying, come, 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 and he's sitting there at the door, and this isn't to lost people. This is at the church, and he's knocking on the door. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to fellowship with you. I want you to know me, and I want to know you. There's more to this life than what you're experiencing. And that should be good news today for some of you that maybe don't have a strong relationship with God. Or maybe you've been playing church your whole life. And you need to realize there is more to this than that. God loves you and he has a plan for you. And then Jesus follows it up with verse 22 and he says this. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. Did you know throughout scripture, Jesus is the only person in the Bible that says, he who has ears, let him hear. And he says it over and over again. Why? Because he knows there's going to be some people that are going to hear, but they don't listen. Have you ever talked to your kids and you knew they weren't listening to you? And you're going, okay, here's the five things I want you to do today. And they're going, nah, hon, yeah, ha, yeah, ha, why? And you go, what did I just say? Oh, something. You're like, I'm right here talking to you. I didn't hear you, though. Could you repeat that? Could you text me? <laughs> yeah, I'll text you. <laughs> right across your noggin. <laughs> no, but, but many times we do that. We hear, we, we hear but we're not listening. 
We're not paying attention. And Jesus is saying, he who has ears, let him hear. In other words, you need to listen to me. This is important. And he's talking to all of us that way. Tell you one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And I'm going to close and let you go eat hot dogs and stuff. Luke 19, verse 2 through 10. This is awesome. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was a wee little man. He wasn't a leprechaun. I'm just saying that. It just sounds really good. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax collector. You know how popular he was. He's a chief tax collector. And he was very wealthy. And he wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. He was vertically challenged. Okay? So he wanted to see who Jesus was. So he ran ahead and he climbed up the sycamore fig tree to see Jesus coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus shimmied on down that tree. I made that up. But he said he came down at once and he welcomed him gladly. I love this part. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. <laughs> All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. You know, Jesus, uh, <laughs> Jesus is awesome because guess what? You were him. You were Zacchaeus. Or if you're a female, Zacchaeus said. <laughs> but the truth is we were all him, right? At some point. And Jesus is walking along. There's a huge crowd and he looks up. I love the fact that he says he looks up and he says, Zacchaeus, come down because I'm going to go spend some time with you today. You know, Jesus will do that for you. He wants to spend time with you. And you need to slow down long enough to do it. And, and I love the fact that it says, uh, but Zacchaeus said, all the people saw this and began to mutter because, you know, religious people don't like Jesus hanging out with sinners. Have you ever noticed that? The only people Jesus ever had problems with were the religious people. You know, you can go down to the river today and there'll be people drinking all along the beach and doing everything else. Where do you think Jesus would be? where they are. Why? Because they're the ones that need him. Thank you, Hunter. Because see, Jesus shows up where he's needed. I'd like to think he'd come hang out with us for a while and then go down there. <laughs> but the reality is Jesus is going out there where people are and they're hurting. But this is the impact that it had with Zacchaeus going to hang out with Jesus. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, 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 here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son, listen to this. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. Wow. You know, this guy had such an amazing turn of heart. I want to tell you right now, if I told you to sit down and write three people that are lost people in your life, 
it wouldn't take you long. You know, they're the people that you know that are heathens, you know? They're the people you would classify as heathens. And I want you to know, Jesus said about Zacchaeus, he's a son of Abraham too. He's one of the family too. He just doesn't know it. And this is the heart of God, that we seek and save that which is lost, the people that are lost. You know, we see in the scripture where Jesus left the 99 to go after the one. Anybody that's a farmer in here go, well, you know, 1%'s not bad. Not God. He goes after the one. And there have been a lot of times I've been the one. And you've heard that term, cut your losses? God doesn't work that way. Praise God, he doesn't work that way. You know, I wanna tell you something that, illustration, actually Tana talked about this week and then Billy found a story, but I wanna tell you about it today. You know, it is human nature when things go well that we forget where we were. Many of you, if you look back, you've been a Christian so long, you kind of forgot what it was like before. And I'll tell you how you know you're getting that way is if you look at sinners and you kind of thumb your nose up at them, you know. And, and boy, y'all are so mad at me, but that's okay because I'm the pastor and, and that's all right. You'll love me later. You have to, the Bible says. <laughs> but it's human nature to forget where we came from. And here's what kind of happens in my opinion. Becky, do you have that cruise, cruise ship picture? Can you throw that up there? It's a cruise ship. And I want you to imagine in your mind that, that let's say you're, you're not a Christian and you're out in the ocean and you're swimming around and you're drowning and, and this beautiful big cruise ship comes up and, and they reach down and they pick you up and they put you on this cruise ship. And this thing is awesome. How many of you have ever been on a cruise ship? I never have. Well, cruise ships are really cool. I mean, there's lots of activities. Do we have an activity picture? Oh, look at this. Look at this. I mean, there's food and there's shopping and, and there's, a sw there's a swimming pool on a boat. Who thought of that? Doesn't that seem counterintuitive? But that's just me. But I mean, hey, we're in a boat. Fill it with water. You know, I don't know. But anyway, that's what they did. And I mean, you actually go on a boat to swim in a pool. But they've got one of those. And, and I mean, they're this hugely elaborate, beautiful things. And, and church, a lot of times, is like a cruise ship. You know, it, we forget we get saved. We forget that we were in the water. And what happens is the longer we're on the boat, the more we kind of enjoy the boat. I mean, it's like, well, wow, this is great. I like all this. And then other people keep getting on the boat, and we don't like it because now it's crowded. And we're like, well, I can't get around like I used to. All these people, these people are bothering me. I want to be able to enjoy myself. And what happens is instead of looking outside and looking out in the water and seeing all these people that are drowning, getting eaten by sharks, we forget. And what ends up happening is our faith, our churches become cruise ships, and it becomes all about us. See, a cruise ship is all about you. But that's never, ever what God intended a church to be. 
We're not a cruise ship. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't have fun. Hopefully, you've had a whole lot of fun this morning. I know I have. But, but the reality is church should be fun and fellowship should be fun. We should be having a good time. But you know what? Jesus said he came to seek and save that which is lost. He is on mission. And he said, I'm going to go away and I'm going to empower you as the church to take over the mission. And he says, Go. Rescue the lost and perishing. Make disciples. So here's what it should look like. Here's what we should look like. We're not about this. We're about being like the Coast Guard. You know, the Coast Guard has a saying. I think it's semper paratus, which is Latin. And you know what it means? Always ready. The Coast Guard is always ready. Ready for what? Rescue. That's their job. They are a military organization whose entire job primarily is to rescue people. You know, there's also a whole bunch of other, in our military branches, there's all these other branches and it's the para-rescue people and the, the Air Force rescue people. And they, they've got all these, di- I mean, these are actually emblems from all these different organizations who are part of the military. They're, they're soldiers and airmen and, and Coast Guard, whatever you call them, Coasties, and they're all this other stuff. And, and their entire job, look at their statement. Look at this. I want you to see this. So others may live. That is their motto. That others may live. I was watching an interview the other day on the History Channel or Military Channel, one or the other, and they were interviewing these guys that were Air Force rescue people. And I think this is appropriate because it's Memorial Day. And here's the statement these guys say, I am prepared today to give my life for somebody I do not know to save them. I'm completely prepared to do that. And that is what God has called us to be. You know, I, I look at this little flotation device, which I'm not gonna put around my neck because it would not fit. But, you know, so many times we get involved with what we're doing in church, and I mean churches in general, and we're on our cruise ship and we're, we're doing our thing and we forget that the real deal is all these people that are out in the water. And, and, you know, sometimes we may look over the side and go, oh, there's a drowning person right there. There you go. Have fun. Hope you can climb on. Watch that shark. And we go on our way. And we were never called to be that. Jesus died so that others may live. And here's what he's called us to do. You are called to be that. Every one of us is called to live and give our lives if necessary so that others may live. Every one of us, not just me, all of us. And you know, as a church, I wanna tell you, I feel like we do a pretty good job of reaching our community. But you know, as long as there are lost people out there and coming in here, we're supposed to be on mission, guys. We're supposed to be on mission. But that's not gonna happen unless you buy into the mission of the church. Unless you really believe what Jesus said, you're not really gonna buy into it. And I've been on warships before. Warships are not cruise ships. Warships are designed from the ground up 
They're purpose-built. They have a mission. And their mission is to accomplish whatever it is they're called to do. And they have the firepower necessary. And they have the training that's necessary. And that's what God's called us to be as the church. We are not a cruise ship. God never let us be a cruise ship. Help us to rescue the perishing. And if necessary, give our own lives. You don't have to go on the mission field to Africa to serve. We have outreach opportunities right here. And some of you say, you know, Barbie got up today. Barbie, this is the signature message for what you guys do. But this is the truth, and it shouldn't be what you guys do. See, look at that. It's what we should be doing. You know, some of you go, well, why do I want to go fill up somebody's tank with gas and wash their windshield with water and clean it off and all that? Because those are people that are hurting out there, and you never know that act of kindness could lead them to the Lord. Jesus said, Jesus said, Jesus said, if you give a cup of cold water in my name, you do it unto me. So when you're out pumping somebody's gas next week, do it for Jesus and love on these people. Do not beat them over the head with the Bible. Love on them. Say, God loves you. Is there anything I can pray about with you today? Is there anything going on? You will be amazed at what you might find out. Because here's the deal. When we rescue them, we need to be so focused that we're out there doing whatever we have to do to rescue them, even at the peril of our own lives. That's the call. That is not church as usual. But I don't want to be church as usual. I don't want to be pastor as usual. I want to be the one out there that we're getting after it, that God looks around, he looks down at us and goes, man, they're doing a good job. Not because we're perfect, because we're not going to be perfect. I'm the prime example of not perfect. And I'm okay with that. <laughs> but it's true. I mean, it's not an accident that God called me here, bless your heart. And I am so not perfect. But I want you to know something. I love God. And I want to see him do something in my life and in the lives of our community. And it is so easy to look around at our society and go, oh, it's getting bad, it's getting worse. And we forget that Jesus is saying, go, go, rescue them, rescue them. You know, he's called this church to change this region. And I am more enthused about that than ever, which is saying something, because I believe that we're starting to get positioned where we can do that. I believe stuff's coming that's going to allow us to do that. And, and, and I see buildings out here that are not building so that we can have fun cruise time, but they're building designed, yeah, we can have fun, but we're going to be reaching the community in our, at our church. And guess who's going to be doing it? You are. Because you are called to be a minister. But pastor, I'm not perfect. Okay, look at me, feel better. It's not about that. It's about, Lord, here I am, use me. And he will. And there is nothing more fulfilling than God using you to reach somebody else. Nothing. Nothing is better than that. So here's my challenge today. You need to decide, are, are, you, a, are you even on the boat? I mean, are you even saved? Some of you may be here and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I want you to know today, and I wish I could tell you 
this rosy story of something, but it wouldn't be true. The reality is all of us one of these days are going to stand before God and you're going to have to give account. Do you know him or not? You don't want to be the one of those that Jesus said, I never knew you. I don't. And, and, and so we need to understand that God is calling us. And, and so if that's you today and you've never accepted Jesus, I'm going to give you an opportunity to come down here. We're going to do that. Most important decision you'll ever make. Now, here's for everybody else. It is so easy to come in here and try to be entertained and, and have a cruise ship mentality that when you walk into this church that it's all about what you want. And you need to understand something, guys. I'm sorry. It can't be all about you. Because we're on mission. And our mission is to rescue the lost and to save the perishing. And I want us to have a great time, and we will. But what could be better than pulling people out of shark-infested waters? What could be more rewarding than that? What could be more rewarding than that? God has called us to serve. We are on mission. Where is your heart? Have you surrendered it all to him? And and I want you today, this is the statement that that I want you to think about today. I want you, this is gonna be between you and God. Have you given him everything? Is it about you? You know, and and I'll tell you one of the ways you might be, if you're the person that gets mad at me because I don't do something that you think I ought to do, I'm probably talking to you today. Because are you focused on what I'm doing or are you focused on what you should be doing? It's not about me. It's about you. We're all going to make mistakes. But we got to get back up. So today, this is not to be a message about condemnation. I already dealt with all that this week (laughs) for myself. This message should uplift you because Jesus is saying, I'm standing at the door and knocking. So if this is you, if you're saying, man, it's, I'm selfish. I come to be entertained. If that's you, then, then you, Jesus is knocking at the door and he's saying, open it up and let's change this relationship because I want to empower you to serve. I want to empower you to give. Let's all stand this morning.